Joe, that was the uh, the sweet, lovely tones of Grimes, every uh, indie boy's favorite girlfriend from a few years ago. Uh, but now she's Elon Musk's girlfriend. Yes, she sure is, Paul. Um, I like to think that um, the reason she's dating Elon Musk is that she really just blown through all the, uh, you know, medium difficulty boyfriends and just wanted to up it to hard. <laughs> uh, and, and see if she could, uh, you know, kind of beat the final boss. Yeah, that's a that's a healthy way to think about romance. I think. Um, <laughs> I like to think she's who dating. Who said Elon anything Musk. about romance? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think she's dating Elon Musk because uh, she enjoys spending time with him, and he's like a, a good boyfriend. I don't know. I, I, I'm taking her word for it on this one. Those things can't possibly be true. Well. I mean, who knows? Everybody likes to hate on Elon Musk. It's very, it's very f- fashionable to hate uh, uh, techno lords, um, which I get because they're insufferable, every single one of them. But um, I don't actually know any of them. So, uh, you know, maybe when it comes time to, you know, just like Netflix and chill, he's like, he's just great, you know. He's like, let's watch Melancholia. It'll be it'll be a really moving experience for both of us. It's, and he probably, I mean, you know, you're also doing it in a hover yacht, so that helps. <laughs> a hover yacht powered by the blood of of the Morlocks. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, the best part though is that now she has uh, decided to defend his safety and union practices at the Tesla plant uh, on Twitter. Oh. Uh, she got on and and started. Uh, you know, responding to fans who were calling her him out for um, Elon Musk's supposed uh, union busting practices and poor safety record at the Tesla factory. Uh, Grimes said that she had personally gone and talked to the workers uh, and just and and looked at the data herself and that these uh-huh. people were wrong. <laughs> and well. Uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, she, then some reporter subtweeted her with, uh, like her exhaustive investigative report about how it was all true. And Grimes deleted her tweets. Uh, <laughs> and there's just now, you know, it's that there's, it's a multi-day Twitter epic. Um, yeah. and it's just a glorious shit show of yeah. our modern age. Well, uh, you know, I, I have to say, um, the uh, the woke community does not handle it well when their uh, heroes that they've sort of adopted for themselves uh, turn out to be just like regular people instead of uh, uh, idols of morality. And um, I think this is yet another reason why you should just kill your idols now because you're eventually going to want to when it turns out they're not that. Uh, that's true. Um uh, I'm sure there's a touching piece of narration I could add here in a Morgan Freeman voice. <laughs> uh, for context, today is we're recording this on the day that Morgan Freeman turned out to be yet another creepy old man. Uh, you know, I was thinking that this relationship now would be like if Jack White was dating uh, Gina Haspel the new director of the CIA and then got on Twitter and started <laughs> defending waterboarding and saying, it, you know, the black sites weren't as bad as, as people say they were. 
As hilarious as that would be, I, I, the CIA is definitely way worse than Tesla. There's no question about that. In my mind. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> that it, it. I guess it could also be uh, if who's a who's an incredibly popular who's a cool female actress. Ah, uh, hmm. I don't know. I was gonna say like like Hillary Clinton might be like the equivalent of like trying to defend like no no like she she needed that hundred thousand dollars from Goldman Sachs that was important for <laughs> for justice. I guess I guess um, <laughs> Daenerys dated Seth MacFarlane, and in some ways, oh god, that's that's an even more uh, <laughs> stomach curdling pairing <sighs> of. <laughs> pure obnoxiousness with someone who seems real cool yeah it, in in both cases like actually don't try to imagine them hanging out together in private because that's horrible Oof, wow um yeah. <laughs> like him just doing the voices while she's like you know <laughs> naked <laughs> end you know um do you think he goes with stewie or brian <laughs> um i th- ooh, uh stewie is for foreplay brian is is at the climax yeah and then he says something about like this is like the time when uh chevy um you know uh started serving burgers or something like that and no. then he <laughs> <laughs> says or he says something like, this is like the time Elon Musk started dating Grimes. <laughs> yes, yes, and you don't stop. Cool like the best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking dollar for the style for you and your mind. Come on, yeah, you can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast, <laughs> slightly above average at least. Nah, preference is relative. My reference is consistently uh, bring you to another vicinity I hit you with the riddles consistently Dead in the middle, a little triply Little did we know that we triggered a fissure In the metaphysical imagery Elegant painted in oil Love is a flower, see how Dissolving the power Yo, 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 what up? As well. uh, I'm Joe Gallagher <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, keep going. This is, yeah. this is great. What up, it's Savage Beast. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher. Uh, with me, as always, uh, high in a Home Depot, it's Paul McLeod. Oh, man. I'm just uh, mildly buzzed in a home, unfortunately. Um, Joe, what's the it's best? Good to be back. It is. It is. Paul, what's the best aisle to be stoned in at Home Depot? I'm trying to think if I have been stoned in a Home Depot, and the answer has to be yes. Um, you know, I think probably the hardware aisle, cause you can sit there and, uh, ponder why the world has that many different shapes and sizes of, of bolt, you know? Yes. Yes. Like, couldn't we, couldn't we get by with like three? <laughs> I, you know, I think, I think my answer would be the, maybe the lighting aisle, just staring at oh, the different lights. Yeah. 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 Just like getting lost in a reverie about invisible man. Yeah. Um, which is what I always think of in that aisle. Um, um, deep okay. cuts. Yes. Uh, well, it is uh, good to be back uh, after uh, for our first podcast in the month of May. Uh, a lot has Jesus, happened. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I no longer have a job. 
which is fun. So a lot more time to concentrate on this podcast, which uh, clearly we have not done. <laughs> we we both had you know trips and and work engagements going on. Or absolutely, you know. absolutely. Um, so one thing, it was recently my birthday, uh, and my wife gave me the thoughtful gift of finally getting me something that I've been meaning to get myself for like two years, which is a brand new, beautiful turntable. Mm. Yes. That's hot. Yes. Uh, and for you tech heads out there, I got a Riga P1, uh, which is a very really? nice mid-range turntable. I'm Googling it now. Yeah. Because uh, I'm not a tech head. Oh, it it looks hot. Yeah, it's a. Is it, it's, this, is it this thing with this big ass cylindrical, uh, black gleaming thing? Yeah, it is black. It is black. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, no. This if it's this thing, like that's a that's a hot looking turntable. I gotta say, even if it just sits there and you never use it, it looks it looks dope. Uh, right now, it does look dope. It has a. Um, metallic peach chastity belt record on it <laughs> nice um it's the riga rp1 or no finally, no it's just the riga fi- p1 god damn it finally your wife allowed you to take full advantage of your chastity belt yeah um <laughs> it's the riga planner <laughs> one there we go yeah 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 you're looking um, at it um okay and i i do acknowledge that joke it was a good one <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah welcome welcome to the world of of uh uh music equipment that looks as good as it sounds yeah i have to say you know obviously my first listen was in rainbows uh i mm. couldn't i couldn't believe uh how amazing it sounded uh and how much i heard that i had not heard before uh just on my first listen through it um i think that's because that record is of course probably Beautifully, beautifully mastered uh, in mm-hmm. a way that even most modern vinyls not. Uh, and I, I highly recommend, um, I have to, the different guitars and body snatchers were a revelation. Oh, yeah. And, oh. Uh, and then, of course, Weird Fish is, uh, it's mm-hmm. the perfect, perfect for the vinyl headphones listen. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that after this call, probably. Yes. Um, so Paul, th- the question is what other vinyl should I get? I mean, I've, I've kind of meandered through the process of building a collection and I have, you know, uh, some essential records. I have a lot of Radiohead and, you know, pumpkins and neutral milk hotel, but not, not much else. Uh, what, what are a couple albums I should buy next? So I think the, the, the best thing to do, particularly for building a collection. Um, this is not as feasible as it was 15 years ago when this was like a hack to getting a lot of really good classic music, um, is to, to sift through used stores for cheap classic albums that you have never gotten around to listening to or owning. Cause it's like a, it's a cool way to, um, force yourself to go back to stuff that you've always kind of felt like you should listen to. And it doesn't cost much. That's good, um, but do the do the shitty copies that you of those records you find uh, does that limit your enjoyment? 
somewhat, but you can actually find copies in good shape. And uh, I guess I haven't dug the crates in a while. Uh, well, I have, but not as much as I used to. It used to be you could find, uh, like I've got a really nice copy of, uh, say, you know, the Cars uh, uh, album, whichever, just the one that has just what I needed on it. Um, uh, that I bought for, I think like $3. Nice. Um, so you can, and you know, it's sort of a crapshoot, but you can also pull them if they're used, you can pull them out and look at them and you can see if they're scratched to hell or not. That's um, true. That's a good point. I did, uh, yeah. I, I did get a copy of television's Marky moon for a dollar. So perfect. Yeah. Exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, okay. I like it. So there are some albums that are, uh, available in abundance. Um, and so a few of those that I can name off the top of my head, um, uh, it's an al- one album that I think is absolutely one you should look for is one we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, everyone knows this is nowhere by Neil Young. Yes. Um, so first of all, great album. Second of all, um, it's old school, uh, fully analog, warm toned guitar rock, which is exactly what you want on the vinyl medium. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, there are great digital transfers of it out there, but uh, also Neil Young would be happy with you because he's a complete asshole about audio fidelity. Um, so uh, he would, I, like, I don't think you can get a lot of his stuff on uh, MP3s or at least no. he wouldn't want you to. On Spotify. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so get that. It's widely available. Um, I'm pretty sure that's one of the albums I have many copies of because my dad has bought a billion of them trying to find the one that has the fewest scratches. Um, but he, but like I found one that has almost none. It's great. Um, uh, we mentioned, I think on our last podcast, uh, Jethro Tull's Aqualung, which has a couple of songs I really enjoy. Um, mm. there, that is in every single vinyl store. There are at least, there's at least one copy, if not 18, um, as well as the rest of the Jethro Tull catalog, which is all good if you want to just sort of like rock out to to macho seventies dude rock that also has a flute. Um, <laughs> and um, flute what else key. is? Yeah, uh, I think uh, I don't have any Beatles albums on vinyl, but I think the Beatles on vinyl is a yeah. good way to go. Yeah, uh, you are going to pay thirty dollars a platter, um, right? But because basically. It's like what you can find is albums that were super popular, but then lost their um, their uh, critical cachet over the decades. So, like, there are a million bread albums in your local vinyl store. Yeah. Um, don't buy those. It seems like <laughs> it seems like picking up uh, Revolver and Rubber Soul is definitely exactly. called for. Exactly. Um, the, the Rolling Stones sound awesome on vinyl. Um, uh, like yes. Let It Bleed would be a great yeah. choice. And of um, course, gotta, I think I'm going to have to go Pink Floyd. Uh-huh. Oh, so that's my other recommendation. Because uh, In the Flesh from The Wall, that guitar riff blasting over your vinyl system is the best. Yes. Um, I happened to find a really great copy of, of uh, The Wall for five bucks uh, back in the day in a, in a record store. Nice. And um, it's... It just turning that up as loud as you can as David Gilmore um, wails through that riff is the best thing you can do. Yes. Okay. These are good, good suggestions. I will report back with what I end Excellent. up purchasing. Excellent. Uh, Paul, we have breaking news. 
Mm -hmm. Kanye West has announced that um, uh, he's releasing Pusha T's next album tomorrow. Wait, are you for real? I am for real. There's a Kanye-produced Pusha T album coming out tomorrow? Yes. It's called... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to make some sex joke. Go ahead. (laughs) It's... it's, it's (laughs) It's called Daytona, uh, okay. and the uh, album cover uh, seems to be a photo of the bathroom of the hotel where Whitney Houston died. <laughs> it, not, hopefully not the bathroom where she died. I, she doesn't uh, seem to be in it, but there's a lot well, of drug, <laughs> drug per- paraphernalia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, uh, wait. Pitchfork even already has a, a review up as of sixty minutes ago. Oh wow! Album. Oh wow! They must uh, they must be getting the mainlined feed from Kanye at Ka- this point. Kanye tweeted this eight hours ago. Maybe I missed the actual album drop. Here it is. Damn. Um. Ah, that's so great. I it really I is. I can't wait to listen to this. <laughs> I, I might buy it. <laughs> Should we pause the podcast and listen to it? <laughs> we'll we'll record our review of it tomorrow, maybe. Oh my god, it's yes. only eight dollars. Sweet. Look, it's only just, seven. It's only twenty one minutes. Uh, that's fine. Yeah, I just bought it. I now own this album. Nice. It has a song called "What Would Meek Do?" So you know, <laughs> Meek would get flown around by uh, rich white guys who. Um, yes. Uh, uh, want to pick up some cachet with the fans? Virtue signaling. Um, <laughs> well, you know, if it if it gets a mediocre rapper out of jail for, honestly, okay, here's my thing about Meek Mill. Uh, uh, I nothing, neither I'm neither here, neither here nor there on his music. I don't really have an opinion. But if you read like the things he was in jail for, like I'm not sure anybody should be in jail, but they were as reasons for being in jail go pretty legit, like. Lots of uh, uh, violent crimes, and then not showing up for you know court hearings when he needed to answer for those. So wasn't the, wasn't the evidence sketchy though? Oh, maybe not. I shouldn't speak on it if I haven't really dug into. I believe it, it but, was. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, like I said, maybe nobody you know, should be in jail. So. Free, free everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the official <laughs> Savage Beast position: is free everybody. There we go. Certainly nobody should be in American jail, which is a fucking ridiculous dystopian hellhole. Um, yes, yes. Everyone should be in, like, Swedish jail. Yeah, if there's going to be a jail, you know, it's just like, here, just go away over there so we don't have to deal with you beating people. But um, no reason to to make it, like, a rape fest. Um, so, <laughs> no. I mean that not as a joke. I, I really mean that. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, anyway. Good breaking news, Joe. That was great breaking news. Yes. Um, and we will record a, a review shortly. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to uh, much, much worse news. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Scott Hutchinson, the lead singer yeah. of Frightened Rabbit, uh, killed himself, um, unfortunately, um, uh, you know, struggled with depression and all the associated problems. Um, and I thought it would be a good opportunity, um, you know, since I guess fortunately, I mean, well, we, previously we've gone and talked about indie rock stars from the, the aughts who have 
uh, passed away, such as Jay Riotard. Um, and, uh, you know, that's sort of our role as the chroniclers of the good music of the 2000s is to uh, talk about the people who make it when they die. Um, <laughs> Thankfully, that doesn't happen too often yet. Yes. You know, 30 thankfully. years from now, it's going to be hopping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, sorry. No, no it's true. <laughs> um, we, <laughs> the tone of our podcast remains the same, no matter what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. And it's good that way. Um, no, so, you know, I think uh, I wanted to talk briefly about uh, what I think is Frightened Rabbit's best album, or my my the album of theirs that actually affected me um which is midnight organ fight uh it came out in 2007 and was one of those i was in grad school at the time and uh, brings me back to my years in boston which had more bad than good in them but uh you know certainly that <laughs> makes the music even sweeter um so we listen to some of it yeah Feel Better by Frightened Rabbit. Uh, how to describe Frightened Rabbit? Uh, it's what if uh, Mumford and Sons were pretty good? Yeah. Uh, instead that's, of, a, that's a decent one. <laughs> instead <laughs> of pretty effing bad. Um, <laughs> the uh, moody uh, stepson of the Counting Crows. Is another uh, thing also like. pretty good. Um, and... Uh, Probably overall, uh, a band from the British Isles who um, kind of got in the last wave of people or of of groups, not when rock was still popular, but when people still believed that rock could somehow be popular across the world, and not or just... could still be like the vital genre for some people or something. Yes, yes. When people were still like, yes, we will open for Coldplay and then we'll be touring arenas in two years. <laughs> oh, but man. Cold, but Coldplay was the last. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Phoenix is still out there, as we previously noted. Um, well, Phoenix is good, though. Uh, yes, yes. Um, which is, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's the thing we're, 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 we're relieved that there are still some good, uh, yeah. and vital rock bands out there. Um, 
So Frightened Rabbit, I've seen them live several times. Uh, they brought mm. a tremendous energy to their um, extremely emo uh, indie rock. Um, I think that may be what distinguishes them a bit is how um, raw and at times visceral uh, their lyrics are in describing a very pure angst um, that uh, even on this album, unfortunately, uh, or um, references the desire to commit suicide um, pretty explicitly. Um, and uh, what I, I the first time I saw them uh, was at uh, the venue Great Scott. Uh, in Boston, and I'd been drinking all day at some party where uh, some house party where we ended up playing softball in a field uh, uh, across from it, and at some time during the softball game, I was like, oh, fuck, we have tickets to this concert. Um, so some of us rolled out to this concert, and uh, I did spend a lot of the concert yelling for them to play You're Just What I Needed uh, by the <laughs> Cars. <laughs> Wow, two references to that song in one podcast. <laughs> they did that too. Um but uh they impressed me with um you know on on the record uh they sound they've got a lot of pop stylings. Um certainly it suffers a bit from the uh meager or indecisive production of a lot of 2000s indie rock. Um but yeah. uh they really uh went for it and rocked out and then I I saw them again at South by a couple years later, and uh, they were still fantastic. Um, and uh, that is, you know, that's really all I wanted to say about them is that they were they were a good band, uh, and I really appreciated their uh, brutal honesty about sex and depression and everything like sucking. And not just funny <laughs> sucking, but actually sucking. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Frightened Rabbit, for me, was a band that got uh, big for the indie scene um, during the like five years in the second half of the 2000s when I like wasn't really keeping up with new music. And so um, I actually had never caught up with them, and this was uh, a chance to do that. So I appreciated your recommendation uh, of this album as a good one to listen to. Um, and my immediate reaction on listening to it was like, yeah, this is definitely some 2000s indie rock <laughs> yep. uh, for sure. <laughs> yep. Um, but like you said, it is distinguished by um, how sad he is about having sex. Um, like I'm reading the lyrics to The Twist right now, and uh, uh, it didn't really work out for him this time. Um, uh, let's pretend I'm attractive and then you don't mind and then you won't mind. Jeez. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's just, that's just really sad. Um, uh, sorry. Things that are really sad make me laugh. Um, well, yes. I mean, and, and of course there's the best example from one of their most popular songs, keep yourself warm, uh, where the, the chorus lyrics go, no, you won't find love. You won't find love in a hole. It takes more than fucking someone to keep yourself warm. Yes. Yeah, that was the one that jumped out when I was listening to it the first uh, time. I yes. was like, oh, yes. man. Um, so, yeah, man, it's uh, it's, it's sad because, um, 
you know, there's a lot of confessional, um, this, these are what my feelings are music out there. It's, um, uh, it's kind of the basis of a lot of pop music. And I think we've discussed in the past how, um, some, some of the more popular forms of it, uh, sort of abstract it to the point where, uh, on purpose to make it generic so anybody can get along with it. Mm -hmm. And that, um, certainly for me has the, um, paradoxical but not really that paradoxical effect of making it much less relatable um whereas you know uh here like these are uh these are situations that anybody could find themselves in but the the depth of the uh self-loathing that comes through um is expressed so specifically that um it ends up being uh extremely affecting and uh, it sucks when um, uh, somebody who's uh, when it turns out that there are real life consequences to being good at making art that way. And um, so R.I.P. Scott Hutchison um, uh, being born in Scotland is probably not good for your mental health is what I've learned from all the Scottish art that's come out over the past quarter century. Yes, yes. Uh, it's um it's you know seasonal depressive disorder is a real thing um, yeah yeah i mean you know and and of course now in in retrospect uh, as i was saying there's some lyrics referencing suicide and the one that's that really does stick out is from uh floating in the fourth where he says uh i'll float away down the fourth into the sea i think i'll save suicide for another day and uh, definitely hit me uh, when I listen to it this time, um, uh, yeah, uh, and he actually uh, was found uh, then in uh, this river that he's or on the banks of this river that he's referencing here. Oh, for uh, real? Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, so I mean, and I think the you know the ultimately to make the tragedy about me um, is that you know it's it's it sucks when you you like an artist and you want to continue you know your relationship with them even if it's just listening to their music and them creating it and for that to be ended uh it's it's a you know it's a loss and i mean it or in the case of you know and this has certainly happened to me where i didn't really listen to someone until they were in the news because they died and then i'm like oh shit this you know they they were i bet if i'd you know someone had recommended this to me, I would have been like, this is good. And then ended up, you know, seeing them in concert or something. And, uh, now it's too late. Yeah. yeah. This is, I'm sure not an original thought, but, um, it just occurred to me. So I don't really have an answer. Do you feel guilty at all? Um, having derived, you know, uh, aesthetic, uh, uh having appreciated the art of somebody, uh, when that art was powered by their own, um, complete personal dysfunction and then that personal dysfunction becomes, you know, like as bad as it can be. Does that make you feel guilty to have, uh, you know, felt like your life was better because they went through that and produced art uh, through it? Um, no, because I think that, I think a person's relationship to their own art, um, is, First off, it's like it's kind of their responsibility to yeah. mediate that. 
I mean, and decide whether they want to create this art for other people to consume and put it out there for them to hear, um, you know, no matter what it's about, you know, whatever you're writing about or singing about. Um, I think that's like agency kind of lies with the artist. Um, and then in terms of feeling guilt, I think that it, no, because, you know, ultimately like I, they're communicating something to me and I guess, you know, it's like, uh, like kind of getting a rush from their sadness and then, you know, clicking over to the next song, you know, or to the next band feels mm-hmm. like kind of heartless in this context, but, um, it's then kind of the responsibility is on me to either, well, I guess to respond to the art in a way that is, um, meaningful to me. Um, yeah. You know, if you're right. So like, I mean, I guess if you're not, I mean, I guess maybe if you're having that reaction to it, that means you're getting something out of it. You're learning or you're de-stressing or you're finding comfort in someone feeling something similar to you. Um, so you're probably doing what the artist hoped you would do. Um, yeah. And you also figure, uh, you know, his mental state probably, uh, well, I mean, this is speculation, but it might well have been worse if he weren't able to express it um, that way. Um, people who people who put that much pain into art, I, in general, seem as if um, that was a compulsion that uh, they had to do. And, you know, plenty of people do f- seem to... Uh, 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 cope with it better through having done so and you know sometimes that's just not enough um, yeah so yeah, yeah i mean yeah i mean i'm sure i mean i know you get a catharsis from writing you know creating art that's like out of your own suffering and i'm sure then you know yeah. going and having a thousand people sing along to the words to it can be uh profoundly cathartic uh yeah <laughs> maybe to a degree <laughs> that i can't that i, I don't even know <laughs> Yeah. I mean, certainly there's catharsis in um, uh, just appreciating uh, being fans along with somebody else of uh, sad art. So I can imagine it and hope that it would be the same. The artist would get some and hopefully an even more powerful version of that. So, yes. um, R.I.P. Scott Hutchison. It's too bad art wasn't enough. Um, You know, sometimes nothing is. Yeah, very true. Um, and everyone, go listen to Frightened Rabbit. They are a good band. Uh, and um, yeah, I have nothing else to say. Good band. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, well, on that uh, leaden segue, let's move on to our final topic, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is uh, two electronic albums that came out on the same day, May 4th of this year, and um, that I... I really liked both of them. I have not gotten Joe's uh, review yet, um, but he's a man of good taste, mm-hmm. so I presume they're at least mildly positive. Um, and those being DJ Coz's Knock Knock and John Hopkins's Singularity. And I say let's start with uh, DJ Coz here. Let's play a track from him. I agree.
All right, that was. Uh, I'm going to try this. Club der Ewigkeiten from uh, DJ Coz's album Knock Knock, uh, which is a 78 minute opus of um, sort of uh, blurry, uh, nostalgic, sentimental club music that uh, mostly sounds like that, except sometimes it's a little faster. Um, and sometimes it has some vocals from uh, almost seemingly random people. Um, some of whom you've heard of. And uh, this album was uh, funny to me because, um, so it came out on May 4th, and I had been actually really looking forward to the other album we're going to talk about later on um, by John Hopkins, um, uh, which came out on the same day because I loved his previous album, uh, Immunity, from 2013. And so when Pitchfork uh, led their site with the DJ Co's review and said and gave it a best new music, I was like, oh, I gotta, uh, I gotta check this guy out first now. Apparently, um, and uh, I had listened to like one or two other tracks of his, but never really gotten into the DJ Co's experience, which um, was not because he's new, because he's forty six years old, um, uh, which. I guess uh, at this point, you know, electronic music has been around long enough that that's not that weird. But um, I can't, I, some of my favorite albums are electronic music. Uh, but the typical electronic music album that gets put in front of me to appreciate, I find incredibly boring. And that's pretty much what I expected to happen with this one. Um, but uh, so I turned it on while I was at work uh, and I was listening to it. And after like 20 minutes, I was like, shit, this is actually. Um, been really really nice to listen to this entire time and then I went through the right the remaining hour of it and all of it was really good um which uh greatly surprised me um very strong avalanches vibe and I know Mm. that uh Joe you enjoy the avalanches as much as I do yes um so uh yeah just some really good sort of lo-fi um incredibly um emotional without really somehow somehow being very very um uh like self-consciously emotional music without ever being like maudlin um and that's a really hard Mm. trick to pull off yeah and yet he does it uh yeah it it's true that's a um it's it's hard man i mean electronic i know every kind of music is hard but electronic music i mean to get yeah. to the um over that hump where you are doing something original that's also moving and restrained is uh pretty difficult um mm-hmm. compared to say picking up a guitar and and playing some chords um well, I mean, just having words to to put like your thoughts and feelings into yes, concrete true. form is a big crutch. That is, oh, I mean, he uses it somewhat, but um, like that track that we listen to has only wordless vocals. So um, it's impressive when you can do it without that. Totally. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I uh, really enjoyed this album. Um, I actually wrote um, two references. Um, what I got the strongest vibe from was. Uh, Fortet. Um, I felt mm-hmm. there was a lot of that living room production um, where you're kind of getting these very quiet, um, you know, friendly beeps and bloops and beats um, in what seems like a very like 
crafted and um like I said, restrained way. It's hard to describe. It's hard to describe the sounds of electronic music sometimes without just straight up referencing, you know, it sounds a yeah. bit like Fortet, um, probably because they use, you know, similar sample packs or what whatnot. Um, uh, and then, like you, I also picked up on a lot of that um, whimsy and devil may care attitude of the avalanches where mm-hmm. there's a p- pastiche and it kind of like flowed in and out of different ideas um, uh, without making too big of a deal, uh, you know, of whether, you know, one sound went with another perfectly and instead kind of counting on a, um, you know, a, 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 a deeper theme throughout the sounds to kind of carry it through, you know, this, um, yeah. the emotion of the sounds more than um, perfect uh, harmony or alignment. Um, or which, rhythm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and rhythm. Um, uh, you know, which I, I guess maybe the fact that he's a little older, that, that reflects perhaps a background as, as a DJ or listening to a DJ where you're just, you know, kind of spinning two records together. Um, and not not lining everything up perfectly uh, in in Pro Tools um, or Fruity Loops <laughs> or whatever <laughs> you use. Um, yeah, so good album, interesting, and um, uh, just a good walk in the woods. I would say I just just found <laughs> myself, you know, walking out in nature, seeing different things as I listened to this ah. album, different different creatures and sights and trees and birds would appear. That's interesting. It puts me in mind of, of the beach. This, this album feels very Southern California mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. which is uh, interesting from a, a German DJ. But um, I like the, there's nothing like California in, in Germany, I'm pretty sure. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think the Northern, uh, like, yeah, no, I, I don't think uh, yeah. uh, the Northern shores of Germany uh, compare to California. No. Apparently he's from uh, Schleswig-Holstein, which is on the border with Denmark. And uh, if you know anything about 19th century European history, it is a totally random little place that like uh, almost brought Europe to war several times. So um, that's fun. That's anyway, fun. Yeah. Um, because they, they had some rules about whether they could ever be part of Denmark or Germany. It's great. Um, yes. Anyway. <laughs> um uh, before we move on, I do want to note um, uh, one of the, the lyrical passages uh, on this album by uh, Speech from Arrested Development, which is, I was looking up like, what has Speech from Arrested Development been doing in the last 25 years? And the answer is almost nothing. Um, so it's really funny, just like the people who get pulled into this. Um, the But he has a line in there, uh, riding, or I, I may be mangling it just a little bit, but riding around in my drop top deep, the rolling around in my drop top jeep two ogs uh riding in the shotgun seat and uh that's kind of a good low-key boast like he's so cool so worth riding around with that two ogs two like tough guys from southern uh california are willing to share the shotgun seat um just to be in his jeep wow um yes yeah yeah, <laughs> uh, it's 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 not something you see every day, and it must no. be an incredible ride. No, I would not share a seat with another OG in your car. <laughs> well, you would definitely qualify as as one OG. Um, so 
Um, I would be happy just with just with you, to be honest. All right. Um, I'm glad yeah. to hear it. All right. Um, no reason to belabor the point. Uh, this is a good album that is um, also, I would say, uh, excellent. Um, I haven't tried this yet, but I'll have an opportunity in about a week to uh, just put on in the background of a party. And you've got 80 minutes of party soundtrack that you can pretty much just leave untouched. Um, nice. Yeah. I wasn't, um, I wasn't invited to this party. Joe, if you want to travel 2,000 miles to party with me, um, you are always <laughs> welcome. It is a standing invitation. <laughs> It will be a party whenever I arrive. Yes, it, yeah. that's also true. Yes. Um, you can invite yourself to the party that you create at my house. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so uh, now this other album uh, is John Hopkins' Singularity, which um, is very different, as you're about to hear.
All right, that was like three minutes of uh, Neon Pattern Drum from uh, Singularity by John Hopkins, which normally we don't play that long of a sample, but um, it sort of builds slowly, so I had to sort of let it run. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so whereas DJ Co sounds sort of like uh, wistfully, you know, enjoying the sunshine and thinking about life um, while you're enjoying a drink maybe by the beach, um, John Hopkins feels like, I don't know, having, uh, God's point of view outside of time as you watch the Grand Canyon be formed or something, um, over the millennia. Um, it's just got this, uh, oh, I should say, I can't stress this enough. If you listen to this album, like turn it up as loud as you can. Um, because Mm -hmm. the more you allow it to just possess you, the more you will understand why, um, this shit just like makes me insane with um, joy. Um, there's like, I don't know. It feels, it, it, what I was trying to get at with that metaphor earlier is that it's like, it feels like existence or something. Um, the way he uh, sort of chisels uh, out um, just these really glacially powerful uh, movements out of, um, some, you know, like long, slow building, but somehow intensely dramatic chord changes and then, uh, loping, skipping wild beats as he fucks around with like filters and tremolo effects and stuff. And, um, you know, that part you just heard is, uh, from the third track of the, the first four that all to me sort of formed this like continuous piece of, uh, intense, uh, dramatic, uh, somewhat dark, but also uh, lovely um, electronic music of the genre that I'm informed as techno, though I've never sat down to really learn what the various genres of electronic music are and how they differ. So, yeah. I don't know, Joe. Does this music affect you as powerfully as it does me? Uh, well, that's an interesting way to lead into it. Um, probably not, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I don't uh, really enjoy listening to it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily get uh, the full rush of you know the the climaxes here. Uh, might describe mm-hmm. it as I may not be as good a surfer as you when these waves come, <laughs> um, but uh, I think. Uh, he's a master at what he does, um, and certainly, um, like you said, I'm not a absolute expert in this, but you can tell he is um, a very thoughtful practitioner of mm-hmm. the electronic uh, arts and the beat, the beat magic. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and I think he, you know, he he previously put an album uh, put out an album with uh, Brian Eno. Um, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you could, you could see his skill, uh, his skill as a composer, um, is evident. Uh, he knows, um, he's not just relying on, um, you know, killer drops and amazing, uh, you know, unique sounds. Um, these songs all have structure and, uh, movements to them. Um, which, you know, I think maybe some of the quieter moments on the album uh, really kind of caught my attention. There was one called uh, Feel First Life, um, mm-hmm. which was, uh, I bl- uh, believe, piano centered around, you know, the piano at times. And um, I think that 
it's a unique skill set to be that good of a composer and to be also be uh, this good of a techno uh, DJ. Um, so yeah, it, it was good. I found some, and my comparison here was uh, um, flavors of Aphex Twin uh, and early M83. Yeah, M83 is a good comparison that I hadn't thought of. Yeah. In that it's got those like just titanic chord progression things going on. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, it's uh, what you said about the drops is really true. Um, he builds uh, incredible tension through the movement of his music. But rather than lease, releasing it with this really obvious, uh, you know, bang your head on the desk, like, uh, you know, build, 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 quack, 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 boom, thing. Um, it's like he releases the tension and you don't realize for a couple measures that it's been released and all of a sudden you don't feel it anymore and it's now building again. Um, it's, uh, he's, he's just incredibly uh, deft at um, messing around with, um, you know, it, it sounds a lot like uh, if he just like turned off all the, uh, left all the faders turned all the way up the whole time. Um, it would just be like eight minutes of a thing that repeats every, you know, 20, 25 seconds or something. But somehow he's so good at, um, uh, at, you know, mixing things up and down and, you know, uh, filtering the, uh, high part, the high frequencies on the drums and then, um, uh, throwing in a few filigrees of synth here and there, um, that it keeps you, or at least keeps me, um, enthralled pretty much the whole time. Um, this is, uh, I'll close by saying, um, I've said a lot about the sort of like spiritual qualities of this album, but it's also one that, um, particularly in the harder, uh, uh, faster songs, um, I absolutely cannot sit still in to the point that I embarrass myself <laughs> in the office when I'm listening to this, uh, just like sort of, uh, sort of head banging in my seat. Um, uh, this is, uh, you know, Aphex Twin is an untouchable genius, but next to him, uh, for me, uh, next to him, uh, this is like some of the most affecting electronic music I've ever heard. So uh, check it out if you liked that sample because it's there's a lot like that. And Immunity, his previous album, sounds a lot like this as well. So um, you can also go back to that. There's a there's a small but very meaningful cadre in the anteroom to Aphex Twins Chamber. Um, yes, and they are they are worth stopping to talk to on your way in. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. I mean, actually, in some ways, there's some things he does better than Aphex Twin for me. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have it prepared. Well, what the difference is between how I feel about Aphex Twin versus John Hopkins? But um, yes, there's, there's a thing. <laughs> Aphex Twin is a bit of a closed loop at times. I mean, you 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 are listening to Aphex Twin, not <laughs> it doing things exactly the way he wants to do them. Um, yeah. And that doesn't let much else in. Uh, I will respond to to one point is that um, in in agreement uh, that there's a very strong spiritual aspect to the music, and I think that's mm -hmm. one thing with um, you know well composed electronic music. It definitely touches that part of your brain uh, in a way uh, that is very direct um, mm -hmm. compared, you know, more along the lines of. Uh, 
choral music than yeah uh, your average uh indie rock song or you know any any rock song or uh you know or even other genres that kind of rely on the beat like hip-hop yeah not just choral but even like you know sort of some of the great romantic uh symphonies of you know like yeah. uh the sort of a beethoven-esque feeling to it um uh of just like monstrous virtuosity going on yes beethoven would have made some fucking killer, oh my god killer drops oh my god beethoven on the on the turntables my god <laughs> oh that sounds like a terrible <laughs> podcast that sounds like something seth MacFarlane would come up with yes. um <laughs> all right um joe do you have anything else to say about all the our topics this week uh, I don't. I need to go listen to the Pusha T album. Yeah, let's do that together but apart. Okay. And you all, if you want to be together but apart with us, um, hit us up on Twitter, Gmail, uh, iTunes, all those places. I'm not even going to say them. You can go listen to the last podcast where I said them if you really want to know where they are. Or you can just Google Savage Peace Podcast and you'll find us. So uh, we would appreciate um, any sort of feedback you want to provide because we love you all. So thank you. Thank you, and good night. Mm. Mm.